So this week, uh, my friend Amy had posted on Facebook. Uh, Amy, and this is Amy and her dad, Ken. Uh, Ken, this week, had to go into memory care. So um, I don't know exactly. Mom and dad may know. He has some kind of dementia causing. Is it Alzheimer's or? Yeah. So kind of one of those dementia causing diseases. And he's kind of had to move into uh, a special facility that cares for people with memory issues. And so Amy had posted this, this great little post about Ken and all the things that he's going through and what their family is, is having to deal with. And um, Ken was always a really cool guy when I was in high school. Um, his daughter Amy and another girl from church, uh, Randa, we were all good friends. Uh, they were at our wedding. They were our ushers. And we always were really connected. The three of us actually did driver's training together. So Ken's job was that he uh, worked as a driver's training instructor. And so on Sundays after church, he was an elder at our church. On Sunday after church, we go out to Arby's and get lunch. And then we come back to the building and the three of us would pile in a car with Ken to go driver's training. If you knew the three of us, there was two really great drivers in there and one not quite as good driver in there. And so it was an exciting afternoon for Ken to be able to help us to try to navigate um, learning how to drive these, these 15, 16-year-old kids. I always thought that he had a very, very brave job being a driving instructor. Um, I just think it would be kind of terrifying. I have far too many control issues the idea of sitting in the passenger side with someone who doesn't know how to drive, and I only get a brake pedal. Like, I always think they should have a steering wheel, too. You know, like, the brake pedal does not seem like enough to make sure that there is no danger coming your way. It always is funny when someone's learning to drive, the, the way that we overcorrect, right? You know, they start to swerve a little bit to the right. And you go, you're, you're, you're going a little to the right. Can you go to the left? And they go, right? And they rip the wheel. And all of a sudden, they're coming into incoming traffic a little bit faster. And everybody's like slams to the back of the car. And they go a little bit slower. They slam on their brakes. And everybody goes forward. You know, it's just like a, a herky-jerky swerving mess when you're trying to teach somebody how to drive for the first time. And for many of us, that's the way a lot of the stuff in our life goes, Right? There are a lot of us, uh, when we start a new diet, where we are just so perfect on that diet for like seven days or eight days, right? And then we go, I don't care after the eighth, right? There's nowhere in the middle where it's like, I'm going to keep on it mostly, but occasionally go off, right? No, we don't do mediocrity. We tend to swing the pendulum all one way or the other. Um, this is true and I'm not picking on anybody. This is true of new parents, okay? We have kind of a new parents thing happening at church. Um, new parents are just always way too stressed out about everything, right? Because they're new to it. So they're like, oh, we've got to do this and we've got to do that. And then old parents like us are like, oh, you don't have to do anything. It'll survive. It'll be fine. Um, we even have this, um, if you ever talk to a teenager about their political positions, you never find a middle-of-the-road, calm teenager about politics, right? It's either, we've got to do this, so we've got to do that. You know, they're just ready to go start a new revolution. And that's the way we are in a whole lot of things in our life, is we're like a new driver, just yanking the wheel left and right, and we have a really hard time 
accepting things in balance. And I try to imagine what it would have been like for the first followers of Jesus to hear the Sermon on the Mount, to hear all the teachings that he starts sharing with them, and how there would have been a little bit of tendency to do that jerking back and forth kind of thing, right? Jesus says one thing, and they're like, yes, we're going to do that, we're going to do that. And he's like, whoa, 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 slow down. That's a bit too much. Uh, if you go back through the Sermon on the Mount and some of the things that Preston and I have talked about um, in our sermons, um, you could see where Jesus could be possibly misunderstood in verse, chapters 5 and 6. Some of the things that he's talked about. He's talked about the Beatitudes uh, and how they uphold the cause of those who are suffering and those who are in weaker positions. And he calls blessed people who are dealing with hard things in life. Uh, Jesus shifts the attention on the law from action to thought. He says, you've heard, don't murder, but I tell you, don't hate. You've heard, don't commit adultery, but I tell you, don't lust. Um, you make all these oaths, but I tell you, just be honest with people. Uh, instead of being violent, you should love your enemies, right? There's all of these ways where he says, let's take these actions and turn them into Let's internalize them. Let's make them attitudes. Let's make them beliefs. Let's make them part of your thought life. Uh, he then goes on to repudiate public righteousness, which we talked about last week, where he talks about, you know, you guys do this or that, um, and you do it in public, but in reality what God really wants you to do is to do those things in private and to do them for only God. Uh, then there's some teaching about wealth. You guys worry a lot about money, but I'm telling you, don't. Stop fretting so much about where your bills are going to come from. Stop working so hard. Just chill out. God is going to take care of you. And then there's warnings about judgment. Don't go around judging other people for the things that they do. You know, this is not your job to sit and look at what everyone else is doing wrong in their life. And the way that you could overcorrect after chapter 6 of Matthew is that you could decide that Christianity is just a really private religion that is about the things that you think in your mind and not about the things that you do in your life. There would be the danger to maybe even have a bit of sort of a victim mentality of we're all being mistreated. Us good people who are listening to Jesus are all being mistreated by those bad people who aren't listening to Jesus. And they do not understand how to feel loved and accepted and calm and just have this inner peace that we all have. It's a lot about ideas and not about action. And because Jesus is a great preacher, he says, let's finish the sermon with a little balancing, okay? Let's take the wheel and move it back towards the middle of the road a little bit. We have talked a lot about how you should have right attitudes more than right actions, but that doesn't mean that your actions don't matter. And so chapter 7 is all about, you've heard a lot of good stuff, now go do it. Uh, Matthew 7, verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. Only a few find it. Um, as a kid, I remember we would play life, right? And there's, uh, life is a, it's kind of weird. It's like, hey, let's take all these really boring stuff like getting mortgages and paying for college and turn it into a board game, right? 
And there's all these little uh, divergent places, right? There's these spots where you can make choices. The big choice was go to college or not, right? It was one of the choices on the board. And Jesus says if people had a board in front of them that was their, their, their game of life, you would find that more often than not, they pick the wrong path. He says the gate of people who do the right thing in life is very narrow. And the gate of people who do the right, or the, do the right thing is narrow and do the wrong thing is very broad. Right? Um, that's a very interesting observation about human nature. He's saying that if you hang out with a few people, you will find that the ones doing the wrong, right thing will, far, um, will be far less than those who are doing the wrong thing. That we are naturally destructive creatures. That when it comes to the decisions that we make for our lives, human beings tend to stuff it up more often than not. And he talks about that as a distinction between destruction and life. Are you going to choose things that are going to give you life and vitality, or are you going to choose things that are going to bring destruction and downfall into your life? And what's really interesting about this is Jesus begins to critique the very people who are listening to him when he does this, right? You have all these people, and you can imagine up to this point, we're all nodding and we're all happy. We're like, yes, Jesus. Oh, that's so true, Jesus. Yep, that's right, Jesus. And in our minds, everyone who's listening to Jesus is like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. I'm so glad I'm poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. I'm so glad I'm meek. Oh, yeah. Oh, the righteous, the Pharisees. Yep, they're terribly not righteous, but I'm righteous. Yep, uh-huh. And, you know, in your mind, you're just like, Jesus is talking about how great I am. And Jesus goes, listen, there's a whole bunch of you nodding your heads. And a whole bunch of you are going to go home and do something stupid tonight. Because that's what you guys are like. That when you're given the option, you choose the wrong things. And it is easy to do the wrong thing. It is hard to do the right thing. And it's an implicit critique to those around him where he's saying, you guys, when you take this crowd in front of him, he goes, most of you are part of the problem, not part of the solution. And when I talk about people who are mistreated and people who are doing right, you are probably not them. You are the ones causing the problem because broad is the way of destruction. And narrow is the way of life. Uh, he then um, is going to make this more explicit in a couple of ways. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. To pickle, to pickle, to people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Um, Jesus is really simple here, and he, he's really focusing the attention, I think, on the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees of his day. He says, if you are listening to someone who's trying to teach you about God, look at their life. It really does not matter what they say. What matters is what they do. And he gives us this nice, this rule that we're like, well, that's overly simplistic. I think he gave us a simple rule for a reason. He says, this is, this is not hard. If you're trying to listen to someone who's trying to teach you about God and their life stinks, they're a bad tree. Okay, this is not a person to listen to. Every once in a while, I'll hear this about 
some kind of public personality, whether it's an author or a preacher on TV or whatever, someone goes, well, you know, I don't know about everything he does in his life, but he just preaches the word so well. No, he doesn't. If he's got a bad life, he doesn't preach the word well. He's a bad tree. It has bad fruit. Jesus kind of lays this simple but heavy burden on teachers. If your life does not demonstrate the kinds of things that it should, the kingdom values that Jesus teaches, it's someone you should ignore. Okay, this is kind of terrifying for me. Hopefully none of you are walking out at this moment like, oh, what am I doing here then? Caleb's a jerk, you know? Like, but this is, I mean, this is a really important thing for us. I think it's really important um, for our churches too. This is how you should evaluate a church. Not how great is the preaching, not how much do I like the worship, not how cool is it, not, you know, any of that stuff. Jesus would say, what kind of fruit do they bear? Are they serving their community? Do they have the values that I have? The Sermon on the Mount, is it being lived out there? Is it trying to teach real piety? Or is it just trying to teach sort of this false, aggrandizing self-stuff? Is it a church that says, hey, 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 look at me? Or is it a church that says we want to serve our community the best we can? Right? Uh, another way to talk about this is look at a church's calendar and their budget. And you, you usually find out the things that they really care about. Right? If a church says, oh, we just really care about reaching the lost. And you say, oh, well, what kind of money do you put towards evangelism? Oh, uh, we put a couple hundred dollars towards one event that we do once a year. Okay, well, they're probably not really that concerned, right, about trying to find new people and bring them into God's kingdom. Um, this is a very hard rule that Jesus gives us, but an important one. Look at how people live. Because no matter what comes out of their mouth, if it's not congruent with their lives, it's fake. And he's very harsh. He uses hell language, right? Those trees that are bad and produce bad fruit are going to be yanked out of the ground and they're going to be burned up. Because Jesus is serious about all of you listening to me. If you don't go home and change your lives, it doesn't make any difference. Um, continues on. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, um, Jesus is, is just focusing right back on the crowd. He says, you can even do religious sounding stuff. You can prophesy. You can stand up in church. You can kind of be this public follower of Jesus. But if you don't have the values of your father in heaven, if you don't live out the upside down kingdom that he's been sharing throughout the Sermon on the Mount, loving your enemies and being kind to those who mistreat you and trusting God, all those kinds of things. If you don't live that out, he says there are going to be people who get to their end of their life and they're going to stroll up to the pearly gates, so to speak, and be like, here I am, Jesus, so glad to see you again. Just go, who are you again? And you think about it, that's very harsh. I don't even know your name. Who are you? Because Jesus says they, they spoke things with their mouth, but they didn't live it out with their lives. He finishes then with this classic parable that we, or story, song, I don't know, thing that we do with kids uh, in Matthew, the next verse. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man 
who built his house on a rock. The, rock, the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. The final admonition of this whole passage, Jesus ends on kind of this dark note of this foolish man whose house is destroyed. Like I said, we, we teach kids a little song, right? The foolish man, the wise man, all that kind of stuff. If you don't know the song, we'll teach you the song. I know some of you didn't grow up in church, so the songs are great. And Jesus says, if you want a sustainable life, if you want to be on that path to life that is narrow instead of that broad path, that's to destruction. If you want a house that is going to withstand the difficult times in life and not crash when difficult times come in, then what you need to do is listen to me and do the things that I have told you to do. Because otherwise, um, you are going to be living in chaos. Things are not going to work well. Jesus um, is saying that when we confess things with our mouth, but we don't live them out with our life, it doesn't matter. And so I think the, the challenging question for us right now is what kind of people are we going to be as we leave this week, right? Because if we want to be honest, there is danger in these passages. Jesus potentially is talking about you. He has expressed to people um, how, to, how God blesses those who are dealing with hard circumstances. He's talked about avoiding hate and lust, about loving your enemies, about being righteous in your piety and being private in it, about trusting God. And all of that stuff is awesome, but if that's merely an idea that we have and not a life that we live, it really doesn't mean anything. And when something difficult comes around, our lives are going to be destroyed. They're going to be messed up. The thing that I find so sobering about this passage is not that Jesus says it's possible to go to church and to listen to the words of Jesus and it make no difference. It's not that that's possible. It's that Jesus says it's common. It is likely that you will hear his words and go home and live no differently. And that is sobering. For Jesus to say, that's the way you guys usually work. And so for all the people that had swerved all the way off the lane into this, oh, we're great, God loves us, everything's wonderful, Jesus pulls them back and goes, no, there needs to be some life change. A changed heart is great, but a changed life is proof that God's doing something. And so what are the little things? Uh, Seth, you and I were talking about recently about those little decisions, right, that we, we, you notice somebody who's just so kind and generous and awesome, and how it's those little decisions, those little places where you go, yes, God, I'll do what you asked me to do, that form you into a different person, the kind of person that people are like, what? What is going on here? This guy is just too nice. I don't understand. And it's because at every step of the way, you said there's an easy choice here and there's a hard choice here, and I'm going to make the hard moral kingdom choice to let God rule instead of my desires.
Uh, I did not just uh, mention Amy and Ken just to get to driver school. That maybe felt like a really odd thing, but I always intended to come back. Um, little things, little life decisions. Uh, reflecting this week about uh, how I knew Ken and the things that he did. Uh, here's some of the little things I remember. I remember driving um, right in front of Pete's Coney Island. Okay, I'm, I'm still, you don't know what that is, but that's okay. And so I'm driving and I'm, I'm doing my driver's training. We were looking to hire a new youth minister, right? And so he's one of the elders. They're trying to make this decision. And I remember Ken looking, I forget if I'm 15 or 16. I remember Ken as we're driving go, what do you think about this hire? Who do you think we should get? What do you think's, um, what do you think's important? And I was six, I had a lot of ideas of what was important. I was like, finally, somebody is listening to me and what I think about the world, you know? But he, he was the kind of leader that said, if someone's 15 in our church, they're still a part of our church. And their opinion matters. I thought I'd be okay. <laughs> you know, you're good. Uh, your faces make this hard. <laughs> I didn't have that. That would be great. Um, our, another, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another little one that I remember is, um, uh, this is going to sound really stupid. If you didn't grow up like I did, this will sound dumb. Uh, I remember the elders told us to stop clapping in church, okay? So this is a great debate of churches of Christ of a certain kind. Can we clap in church or not, or is clapping instrumental music, right? And so we had been told by the elders that came into the youth group, and they're like, listen, you guys have got to stop clapping. You're upsetting the old people. And I was like, okay, whatever. And so, like, it's a bizarre thing to many of you, but this is a thing that happened, but I remember it was Ken that came back a year later and said, hey, we've talked about it, and we were wrong. And we're sorry that we were wrong and that we did that. No, it's stupid. Okay, it doesn't matter. The clapping doesn't matter. How many leaders in church or anywhere else do you know that make a decision like that and then come back and go, you know, we screwed up. That was dumb. That was our mistake. You guys, as 16-year-olds, had it right. We, as 60-year-olds, had it wrong. We're sorry. Like, we have a world where people are caught doing heinous crimes, and they're like, nope, I didn't do it. And for someone to say, you know what? We were wrong. We shouldn't have done it. Um, I remember all the times that he was so gentle with people in that car, people who were possibly going to kill him at any given moment, that car swerved off the road. And it was always just, he was such a gentle, gentle, gentle person, right? Gentle in his rebukes. Um, the point here is that he was somebody who heard the word of God and just did it. And just did it in little ways and not in flashy ways, right? He was not the first guy to be asked to teach a Sunday school. If we needed someone to fill in preaching, it was probably not going to be him, right? But he just, he heard when Jesus said things like, blessed are the meek and the merciful. And he just lived as a meek, merciful person, right? Um, he heard Jesus say, not to store up treasures on earth, but in heaven. And he just lived generously, Um 
He heard not to do his piety sort of publicly so that everyone could be so proud of who he was and what he did. And so he just was humble and kind and willing to admit his faults. Um, it was just a great example, not of anything spectacular, nothing that will ever show up on the news, not someone you would have heard of unless I wrote the sermon, but somebody who Jesus said, live this way, live these values. And he didn't go, okay, whatever, and just walk out the door. He goes, oh, I need to live out those values. And he just did the things that Jesus asked him to do. The kingdom of God is about the reign of God. Is Jesus the king of your life? If he asks you to do little things, if he says it's good to be meek, are you willing to be meek? I am not meek. That is just not my forte, right? But in those little things that we say yes to, God forms us and changes us into something really beautiful if we're willing to listen to his teaching. So it's my hope um, that today we can strive similarly to go do what Jesus says. This week, find a way to live out what you have heard. Not merely to think about it, but to do it. Because that is when you start to see life and sustainability and beauty instead of things uh, being destroyed in your life. All right, uh, question and answer. What do we have question-wise? Oh, I think I should be more meek than I am. Yeah. I mean, there's, don't get me wrong, there, there are moments when God needs a rabbit and there's moments when God needs a tiger, right? <laughs> Depending on the context. Um, but I am very guilty of being the hammer, whether it's a, a screw or a, you know, <laughs> right? Like when you're, when you're hammer, everything's like a nail. Um, yes, I'm very guilty of that, that, you know, force and power and projection is the thing I think that will fix every problem. Um, being a dad of four daughters is probably very helpful in that way. That um, turns out that three-year-old little girls don't always respond best to like, stop doing this, right? You know, like that sometimes meekness in fatherhood is a valuable asset. Um, and so, yeah, I think that there's many times where God is calling me, um, yeah, to, to be a little more like Jesus in those things. Sometimes we hear people go, oh, you know, we'd love to help, but we just haven't budgeted anything for it. Well, you don't really want to help then, right? You know, like, I mean, sometimes things come up that are unforeseen. But if you find yourself consistently saying, oh, we'd love to do it if we had the money. Well, at some point you start to budget so that you have the money so that when those things come up, you're ready to do it, you know? Yeah, so that, that's important to talk about. So let's talk a little bit about assurance of salvation versus Jesus' comments about like, hey, there's going to be people that show up and go, hey, I know you, Jesus, and you don't, right? Um, a lot of it comes down to our criteria. If you say in your head, I'm good with Jesus because I showed up to church and I listened to sermons and I think all the right things, you're potentially in trouble. <laughs> Um, I think that we should have assurance, but that assurance is in relationship. I feel sure of my salvation because I have a father who loves me and I trust him. Right? That's a very different thing than I go to church and I say the right things and I tithe correctly and all those other things. Right? And so Jesus is trying to get to in that what is true righteousness looks like. 
true righteousness is depending and trusting in God. It's not saying verbally the things that you're supposed to say or listening to the right kind of sermons and all that kind of stuff. So that's where, I think that's where those two things balance out is it's not that Jesus doesn't want you to feel sure that God loves you. It's that he wants you to feel sure as long as that is situated in the work of God in the universe, not situated in your own sense of righteousness. Does that make sense? I mean, that's so James says faith without works is dead, right? That's, yeah, and so that's basically the idea is if you trust God with your life, it will naturally propel you to then act, right? Um, in the same way, I mean, I think a great metaphor for this, if you're married, right, and you have a spouse, and they say, I really love you, and they go, awesome, could you help me do this? And they go, no, sorry, too busy. Excuse me? I love you to death. I would give you anything. I would die for you. But I am not doing the laundry. It's like, well, wait a second. I don't understand. That seems to be a little contradictory, right? There's this idea that if you have that emotion for someone, it naturally pours itself out in serving that person and doing the things that they care about, right? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's not an earning action. It's a responsive action. So I think we see this with kids. My kids like the stuff that I'm into, usually, just because they like, are, I think they're, it's more that they're excited about me than they're excited about the stuff, right? You know, they're like, oh, this is really cool. You know, like, what degree of the Star Wars love is I love Star Wars, and what degree is dad loves it, and I want to do something he does, right? This is something that plagues my mind. Um, and I think that's true with God. Like, he's our father, right? And if he's re like, if God's thing is just really helping the poor and the vulnerable, then how could we be a child who's truly in love and enthralled with a father and then say, yeah, I don't like any of dad's hobbies, right? This just doesn't happen. That's, you just naturally get kind of engaged in the things that a parent you love is engaged in, I think. And so I think that's another kind of conceptual thing to put on it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think, so yeah, a lot of people sort of, feel that frustration of it doesn't feel like God is asking me or calling. And then it doesn't help when you go to church and there's people that like seem to have a telephone with God. They're like, oh, this week I felt God was calling me to do. Or, you know, I know that we're only supposed to sing one song, but God just called us to sing 18 this morning. You know, like, and you're like, what? What's going on here? Um, I would say this, I think this is where our life of um, being in church, hearing sermons, being part of Bible study, our personal reading of God's Word. This is where God's Word hopefully helps us. So like, um, while God may not send you an audible voice this week to do something, we went through a passage today that talked, uh, or we talked about um, loving your enemies, right? And uh, forgiving people when they mistreat you, turning the other cheek, not returning violence for violence, wanting the best for someone who disagrees with you and maybe even wants your harm. That's something God wants you to do, right? Like maybe that's not the message that got sort of beamed down somehow, but that's there in the Bible and it's something we studied. And so I think in, when you feel that lack, you lean into scripture a little bit and say, well, this week I read a scripture about being good to people who are bad to me. I'm going to work really hard to find some situation this week where somebody does something that ticks me off, which if you're me, I mean, that's four or five times a day, right? You've got that opportunity. And, <laughs> and you just, you say, okay, I'm going to take 
the next opportunity I get to be really kind and loving to somebody who does something against me. And you're doing what Jesus wants you to do. Now, I think sometimes those things interact where you're like, oh, I read that scripture. And then tomorrow someone's going to do something terrible at your business. And you're going to be like, oh, this is a real test of that. And you'll be like, apparently God's trying to tell me something. But I think leaning into scripture is helpful on some of those things. Any other questions?